0: listen to On the NBA
1: Beat on Almighty Baller Radio, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories.
0: Portland has three timeouts, while the Lakers have two. Brian, to shot! LeBron James with no regard for human life. Jordan, oh, a spectacular move by Michael Jordan!
1: And now, your host. Lauren Lee Chen and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. You are listening to On the NBA Beat, and more specifically, the voice of Aaron Fishman. I'm so glad you're tuning in. Riding solo here, as far as hosts are concerned, but shortly I'll have company in the form of former Sheridan Hoops writer Jim Park, a close observer and longtime fan of the Golden State Warriors. As of interview recording time, the Warriors awaited the winner of the Cavaliers-Celtics series. However, now that Cleveland has defeated the Celtics, a third straight Warriors-Cavs final has been set. As we wait for the series to begin on June 1st, hopefully our in-depth discussion will help tide you over. First, let's better get to know our guest, Jim Park. Before Stephen Curry became a full-blown NBA superstar, as the 2011 lockout approached its end... Jim won a contest Curry was holding on Twitter. By singing and submitting the most unique and entertaining Christmas carol, he earned the right to have a one-on-one Skype session with Curry himself. After the two chatted for an hour, Jim decided he wanted to cover the Warriors, which he went on to do. Without further ado, let's begin. I want to start out. First of all, I really appreciate you coming on the show on such short notice, too. Really helps out a lot. So, they're just such a dominant team, historically elite. They've been for the last three years. But the Warriors have now won 27 of their last 28 games. And that comes after they lost five of seven when they were still adjusting to playing without Kevin Durant. Besides everything, what would you say is clicking right now for Golden State?
0: Well, you know, what happened, I believe, was that. Seth got re-acclimated into the role that he always had, which is being the number one option. And I think initially uh, when KD went down, there was a uh, maybe a little bit of an adjustment period uh, where he maybe had to kind of rewire himself into being more of that dominant all-around guy that he's been for the last three years. And... At some point, he started to get that groove back, and uh, some of the guys that were missing, you know, on the bench like David West, Matt Barnes, uh, they acquired Matt Barnes while you know Katie was out. They needed that extra body, and they got him, and uh, he was he started making contributions. Um, McCaw started making contributions, and so the bench started to play much sharper, and that got into a role that you know he was accustomed to for so long, and. Clay also, Clay Thompson. When once KD went out, uh, he started going off because really he's the second scoring option for that team when KD's out. So uh, he started playing with a lot more confidence, and uh, Draymond he always does his thing, and they they just they went on they went on a roll from there. And then um, I think KD when he came back, he kind of he wanted to fit back into this and. It was relatively uh, seamless, I think, this time. I think Curry really found himself while KD was gone, and he really hasn't looked back even when KD did come back.
1: Did you end up reading um, the Ethan Sherwood-Strauss column? I think it was his last one with ESPN, where he was talking about the marginalization of Stephen Curry and essentially about his fit with Durant and how... He has struggled a little bit, and struggled is obviously a relative term because he's an amazing player, having another stellar season, but just relative to the unbelievable season he had last year, did you end up reading
0: that at all yeah i did i did um I don't remember it in full detail, but I definitely remember reading about it. It was a great piece. What was your take on
1: and I won't ask you specifically, but just the uh, the kind of line of thinking that Curry is not able to shine as brightly as he was before. I mean, you always hear about sacrifice with great teams, and Curry undoubtedly has had to sacrifice to a certain extent, but how do you see that shaking out so far?
0: Well, in the beginning it was tough. He, I think he had trouble finding that balance of you know, when to keep passing. And the other thing is, Kerr, Steve Kerr started utilizing him a lot less uh, in the sense that he kept taking steps off the ball. One of the things that Curry is so good at doing is moving without the ball and uh, finding scenes uh, to get himself open or, you know, he's going around all the place setting screens, trying to get switches and, you know, get his teammates uh, an advantage somehow and, uh, he's, he's so good at those things that um, he was willing to kind of do more of those things than, than take over the offense. He kind of tried to defer to KD a little bit more in the beginning to the point where people were kind of saying KD is undoubtedly better than Steph Curry. Um, so he definitely went through this adjustment period, Curry, particularly if you remember that Christmas game against the Cavaliers he got what like 13 or 11 shots off or something like that
1: yeah and, something
0: uh, like that after that game he probably kind of called out the way he was being used he, you know kind of uh, expressed his frustration about you know his lack of usage his lack of you know not getting up enough shots not being enough, not being involved enough on the offense. Uh, He wanted to be more involved in the pick and roll situations where he absolutely thrives in. I personally thought it was almost criminal the way they were using him. He's just too good to use as like a glorified, what JJ Redick or something. Um, You know, he's just too good. You can't keep him off the ball for that long. And that's what they did early on. And Curry started to kind of talk to the media about that and that's something that he has never done where he's openly kind of questioning what the coach was doing in terms of how they're utilizing him. So that's when, you know, it was it was like a major red flag. The average person, if they heard what Curry said, they'd be like, Oh that doesn't sound too bad. But anybody who's followed this team for a long time knows Curry is not the type of person who calls out anybody that's in the organization. And he bits that with Steve Kerr.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting point. He's definitely been more diplomatic over the years with regard to happenings around the team. And so if he says something, however muted it is or or subtle, you definitely are paying attention. And he definitely means what he says in those situations. But, yeah, so... Oh, yeah, Mm yeah. So you do believe though that that they've adjusted, they're using him more on ball, and that that's been a significant reason why they've been so dominant since.
0: I think so. Uh, he he's looked a lot more like himself uh, since that time when uh, KD went out. He was still playing well, you know. At some point after he called out, you know, not being involved enough, Car uh, started to allow him to play more take and roll, you know, with Draymond and you know, kind of jumpstart their offense that way because for this team it's clear that you know as curry goes they go it's not as kd goes they go that's yeah a hundred percent clear at this point so yeah you know I, I think he really started to get going at once once uh he was back to dominating the ball
1: so they're undefeated heading into the nba finals 12 and 0 The biggest scare, I think everyone would agree, was Game 1 against San Antonio when the Spurs held that 25-point lead and then Kawhi Leonard went down with the ankle injury. I'm hoping to assess any level of concern that you may have that Golden State hasn't had that many close games in the postseason. You can argue that that's a good thing that they've been so dominant, Uh, but compared to Cleveland, who's very likely to be their opponent in the NBA Finals, they haven't had very many close games. Cleveland has had a lot. Even though they only have one loss in the playoffs, every one of their games against Indiana was decided by six or fewer, so they're more accustomed to these closer finishes.
0: No, I'm not really concerned about that because it's not as if this team hasn't faced adversity before they've faced it various times throughout the season as well. It's just that they, they've just been rolling. It's really plain and simple. They just have such a dominant, you know, group of players that they haven't really faced many challenges. But game one against the Spurs, they won the game. Yeah. You know, regardless of how they did it, they were down by 20-something points. That's not easy to do. And... Nope. It wasn't easy to do, even down the stretch. What two or one minute left to go? It was still they were still down, so they fought against that adversity um, and came back and won that game too. So I really, it's not as if these guys don't know how to handle themselves when it comes to crunch time. So I'm really not concerned about that.
1: Yeah, I would agree with you there. Even though you look at their record over the last three years, and they don't have that many losses anecdotally we can just think of so many examples of them falling behind double digits and just having that calm about them before they won the championship and then maybe even after they won the championship they had extra confidence that they already had that ring and that their confidence couldn't be shaken but you just see a team that at least from my perspective that, regardless of the circumstances of a game, they just they have that confidence, maybe even arrogance that they're going to win, right Oh yeah, I mean
0: they, these guys, I think, for the most part, they have a killer instinct, you know uh, they don't just let teams back into the game because they're up you know 15, 20 points. Uh, they, they have a preposterous record when they're up by 15 or more over the last three years or so. they've lost. Uh, I think two years ago, they were undefeated when they were up by 15 or more. Um, And then last year, I think they've lost like one game uh, where a team came back after being down 15 points towards the end of the season, you know, when when the Warriors are trying to get to that 73 wins. And same thing with this year. When they had a 15-point lead, I think they only lost two games. So when these guys, when they get out, you know get out of ahead they don't they don't look back, they don't let teams come back, you know, and uh the way they have it set up is it's set up in such a way where other teams have trouble coming back because to start the fourth quarter, they have curry sitting and they'll have k d starting you know the game in the fourth quarter, and you know he's just usually he's he's eating you know nobody can the second unit guy can't stop k d you know yeah, let alone first guys usually so. It, that's a tall order for most teams to kind of try to overcome especially when, they, when they're they down so you really have to play, play perfectly and try to get out ahead of the Warriors in order to have any kind of chance because if you get down forget it no yeah. Chance.
1: yeah, there isn't really much of a chance what do you think commentators and some fans are missing with the argument that the playoffs are getting boring with all these blowouts
0: well what the Warriors do on their end is, you know, it's like basketball heaven. You know, it's, it's a beautiful thing to watch, right? Yeah. Um, I, I think what a lot of people have an issue with, and uh, I kind of do too in a way, is that it's not really competitive. You, 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 you watch what's going on, and you know that the other team has no chance, right? Mm-hmm. They're they just you can see it you know they they have no chance of coming back and it's like even for those who are rooting for the Warriors they're almost begging for the other team to make a run so that you know it there's at least some kind of excitement to the game when you watch a game where one team is just utterly dominating um, and the other team is not responding in a more competitive way that's not really fans don't want to see that. I think anybody who enjoys competition don't want to see one team just dominating. You know, it's just not the same. It's like it's like watching Team USA versus those, you know, foreign teams where you know there's not a shot in hell that they're gonna be anywhere near close. You know? Yeah. And that's kind of what's happening in these playoffs when you know, when Warriors are playing other teams. And I think that's what, you know, people mean when they say it's boring. And at times it does feel a little bit boring because you, because it's so predictable.
1: But digging a little deeper, if not for that Kawhi Leonard injury, I think things would have been a lot more interesting. Obviously still the Warriors would have been heavily favored in that series But you look at the Spurs, they won only six fewer games than the Warriors this regular season. They also won two of the three head-to-head games. Do you agree with that, that that would have been a lot longer of a series if Kawhi hadn't gone down and that we'd be having a little bit of a different
0: conversation right now? Maybe. Uh, You know, we can't really – nobody can really say for sure because it didn't happen. And, you know, that's really one of those what-if situations And you can only guess what would have happened. I would have predicted that the Warriors probably still would have won in five, five or six at most, six at most, because they would have adjusted. Uh, You know, they, I don't know why, but they just, they played Zaza way too many minutes. And I kind of have this personal issue when, when the coaching staff plays Zaza, Pachulia too much, I don't like that because he kind of puts a cap on what they can be uh, in terms of their potential on both ends of the floor. The Warriors are most lethal when they're running, when everybody, all five guys are you know, running constantly and um, playing quicker. And Zaza kind of automatically slows things down. You know, he has his limitations and he's no rim protector by any means. Um, So it kind of frustrates me when he plays too long. And he played way too many minutes uh, in that game one for my liking. (laughs) So I feel like the Warriors would have adjusted to their more optimal lineups. Um, I mean, it's absolutely true that the Spurs, you know, just the Warriors weren't ready for that game one. And they probably would have lost that game if Kawhi stayed in the game. But I do think that overall, the Warriors—they just—they have too many weapons, and you know, you, you can't assume that the Spurs are gonna just run over the Warriors like that. You know, that I, I would call that like a one-game exception. It's the same yeah. way the Rockets dismantled the Spurs in their first game. There was no indication whatsoever, as we found out, um, of how this the rest of the series would go.
1: Yeah, that's definitely fair. We, um, I think. All basketball fans wanted to see Kawhi Leonard out there. Just such a great player on both sides of the ball. But who knows? You're right. It very well could have been a short series, even if he was out there. But we didn't get to see it. Is the major takeaway?
0: I just want to say. I just want to say one thing about, about yeah. Kawhi. He, Go ahead. you know, I think we kind of got a got an idea of maybe just how dominant he may be on on offense too. Obviously, but more so on the defensive end. Um, You know, I thought that the Spurs, you know, they had the best defense in the league this year over the Warriors, right? Mm -hmm. And it's incredible how monumentally they collapsed without him on the defensive end. It's like, it's like their defense was an absolute joke. There's no semblance of, you know, there's zero rim protection. They had none. They had no rim protection. These guys were just, just kind of, you know, it, it was like, man, it, it looked like a pickup game. Warriors were doing whatever they wanted, and there's no way they would score on the Spurs that easily um, if Kawhi was in there. And it's kind of crazy how one guy who's mainly on the wings has that much of an influence on the defense. And uh, you know, that that made me really, really think a lot and kind of appreciate. Kawhi Leonard's defense in a in a different with a different kind of perspective, you know? Yeah. Seeing no. what they weren't able to do without him. Yeah,
1: that's really an excellent point. Kawhi Leonard, an MVP contender, and he's probably not going to win, but he had such an amazing year defensively as well, powering that number one defense. And yeah, he just makes such an impact that his absence and how the team played defensively, as you argued, really does say a lot about his impact. So I was getting to this a little earlier. I want to get your thoughts on the dominance of certain teams, super teams, if you will, if that's good or bad for the NBA, or if it's more nuanced, if it's somewhere in the middle Obviously, it's great for ratings when you have these superstars and super teams. But as we alluded to earlier, the competitive imbalance bothers a lot of fans and franchises. So just weigh those two if, if you can for me.
0: Well, it seems like that is the way to go in terms of giving yourself a chance to win a championship. LeBron did it. Uh, the Big Three in Boston did it. You know, if you look at most of the teams that have won over the last 20 years or so, these were pretty much stacked teams, right? Um, some, there are like a couple of exceptions, like the Detroit Pistons. You know, there wasn't, it wasn't a team full of superstars. It was more like a collection of stars that kind of, they, they just had this unbelievable chemistry that kind of got them through. But for the most part, it's it very star-heavy teams that went all the way and ended up winning. So I think this whole superstars teaming up, I mean, that's obviously nothing new. Um, in terms of what the Warriors did, that's obviously super, super extreme. Uh, you're talking about a team that won you know, an NBA record 73 wins. One of the most dominant teams of all time. And then they added one of the most dominant scorers of all time. So uh, crazy! That, that's like a super super exception. That that would be like that would be like the Bulls with Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen adding like a Larry Bird or something. <laughs> you know, that's the, it's the equivalent to that. And um, so, yeah, I, I, th- I personally didn't want KD going to the Warriors. You know, I've been following the Warriors for as long as Curry's been on that team. And I love what they became because it was so organic. You know, it, it was four out of the five guys in their starting lineup were, you know, guys that they drafted. Curry, Clay Thompson, Harrison Barnes, Draymond Green, and oh yeah, Obviously, they got him through the Montielo trade. So to see how long this, franchise suffered for as long as it did and to rise up as far as they did organically the way they did. It was just so awesome. And, you know, I think everybody can agree that they were a much more fun team to watch that being a part of the reason, but I thought it was like a perfect balance, you know, where everybody, there's no sacrificing for the most part. Everybody played their parts to the max to be the team that they were last year and um that kind of went away when kd joined the team now somebody has to sacrifice right yeah and um yeah and somebody every game is usually going to have some kind of low output you know that that's the that's just the way it goes there's you know that's what they were talking about when they acquired them there's only one ball and they were making jokes about that or whatever but um, I think it's. I mean, you look at Clay Thompson against the Spurs. He averaged what? You, I think, eleven points.
1: It was pretty low for him. Yeah, something like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's insane. This guy, I think, he averaged no less than eighteen points last year in the in the playoffs against any team. So you're talking about a steep, steep drop off for Clay, and that might have something to do with um, the coaching change. Um, as uh, Sam from Warriors World mentioned to me the other day about how um, Clay seems to play a lot better when Steve Kerr is on the sidelines um, rather than Mike Brown because Mike Brown is allowing the team to play more freely and thereby allowing more pick-and-roll, kind of letting the guys, you know, go a little rogue from the overall plan, which is constant movement everywhere, which they still do, but because it's more centered around the pick and roll, it seems like Clay is having perhaps, um, more of, more of a trouble getting into a rhythm and, uh, yeah, he's been terrible. He like, he can't, he shot like well under 40% against the first.
1: When you are talking about sacrifice, I was thinking about Clay Thompson. I'm looking at it now. In the four games against the Spurs, he averaged 11 points per game and shot 32.7% from the field. In Game 1, he made two field goals. That was it. In Game 4, he yeah. made three field goals. This is Clay Thompson, yeah, is, one of the best shooters in the league. He, right now,
0: I, and I said this on Twitter, um, Obviously, I'm not saying that that's what he is, but right now, it's almost like he's like a glorified Kyle Corver. Mm. You know, he's just a guy who catches and shoots, but he's not getting enough touches and he's not getting into a rhythm because maybe be partly because of the style of play, but also because he has less of a responsibility to score with KD in there, you know?
1: Yeah, the, no. thing, the thing you brought up about the coaching change just while Kerr is recovering is interesting. I should note though that the last two games of the Blazers series that Mike Brown was coaching, Clay Thompson did have a couple pretty good games. One of the ones he he wasn't shooting that efficiently, but he he scored twenty four points. And then game four against the Blazers, he had eighteen, made almost half of his shots.
0: Sure. I mean, you know, he's going to have good games. This is Clay Thompson we're talking about. He's a great yeah. player. Um, you know, he's a max player for most teams. Max level player. That's what he is. And you know, you look at what he did against the Thunder last year. He averaged like 25, 26 points. So when you're telling me that, oh, he had a good game against the Blazers with 24 points or something like that, it's just like... <laughs> Was that like the best game that he's had? And if so, it's like he does not have the same prominent role that he had last year. And, um, yeah, you know, that, that's part of having to sacrifice all of a sudden when you have more talent. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I didn't necessarily want J.D. going to the Warriors because it was a lot more fun when, when the Warriors were playing against them. For the Warriors, I think it's total overkill. <laughs> um, we're can we we're seeing that right now in the playoffs. And I honestly think that they're going to make pretty quick work of the Cavaliers, too.
1: Okay. Well, we'll get more to that a little bit later. First, I just wanted to ask you, since we talked about Mike Brown, outside of how he's utilizing Klay Thompson or underutilizing and, and how they're, they're doing more pick-and-roll action – how do you think he's doing slotting in right now? Is, I don't know if interim head coach is, is technically what he'd be called, but that's essentially what he is, I guess, right now.
0: Yeah, pretty much.
1: Do you think he's uh, doing a good uh, job for the most part, or is it just that the team is so good that it doesn't really matter?
0: Yeah, I mean, the team is so good. As long as the con- overall concept of what they do is the same, um, I don't. It, it's hard to mess that up unless you completely just go away from what they're doing and just go full-blown Mark Jackson-style ISO-based offense or something like that. Um, In that case, I could see significant change in the way they play. But um, for the most part, one of the things that I've noticed about the Warriors when Curry is not coaching the team is that they play much freer, much looser. Um, Maybe... Is partly because the uh, assistant coaches have less of a say than a Steve Kerr. Uh, and one of the biggest differences uh, is the way Jeremiah Green plays. He plays super freely, and he becomes a much better shooter from the three-point line. I'm sure you've noticed that he is, for the most part, been converting at an alarming rate. Yeah, from the three-point line. I know, in right? this
1: season, he was shot in the low 30s. Oh,
0: yeah, he shot... Okay, so here's the thing. Last year, when Luke was coaching the team for the first half of the season, Draymond Green was shooting well over 40% from the three-point line. I mean, that's... Half the season, that's pretty impressive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as soon as Steve Kerr came back, I think Kerr doesn't want Draymond to shoot as much as Draymond wants to shoot just because he thinks there are better options, maybe. Because um, if you remember, um, Draymond had that big blow-up last year, uh, soon after Kirk came back against the Thunder, um, you know, in the locker room, talking about, I'm not a robot, you don't want me to shoot, I won't shoot. You know, it was a big thing. And after that, he, his three-point shooting just went down the crappers. He didn't. Ultimately, he ended up shooting like 38% or something like that overall last year. But he was at about 41% before Steve Kerr came back. And now you look at him, the way he's shooting in the playoffs, shot like 50% against the Blazers, uh, well over 45% against uh, the Jazz. He killed the Jazz with a three-point shooting. And um, obviously Spurs being who they are uh, kind of helps limit his shooting a little more but he still shot respectably, you know Yeah. and um, when Draymond plays freely like that I think the Warriors are virtually unstoppable his his confidence level is off the roof he feels like he can do anything he wants on the floor and um, he's kind of more successful in that way Curry in a way too you know he seems to play more freely as well um Thinking a little bit less about feeling like he has to move the ball constantly, as opposed to kind of you know calling a pick and roll and kind of deciding what he wants to do from there. So I think Mike Brown has done a good job overall uh, managing. Other than that one game where he just played Zaza forever and it was driving me crazy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I know you're not behind the scenes here or in Steve Kerr's mind and you're not talking with his doctors or anything, but what's your indication of whether or not he'll return in the finals at some point?
0: Well, they said today, uh, Bob Myers um, came out and said they don't know. Uh, He said as of right now, he can't coach. And um, the indications seem to be that he's not ready to go. And um, if he hasn't been ready to go for the past month, I kind of have my doubts about whether he's all of a sudden going to be ready in the next week. Yeah. Obviously this is a life altering issue that he's going through. And, um, you hope that he, you know, gets through it. But, um, you know, he's the the biggest, the big thing is that he's still with the team. You know, you see him during halftime, you know, shows or whatever, him talking to the team in the locker room. And, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, I, I think it's, it's very interesting to watch that dynamic where uh, they're kind of listening to both him and Mike Brown, so just kind of getting two different perspectives. And I think that's um, it's it's that's good to see that at least. But seeing it doesn't seem like Curry is ready to come back at this time.
1: Yeah, we'll see what happens. It's obviously his health is way more important than basketball. Just right. I agree though with you that it is an interesting dynamic. When we were talking about Draymond Green. It brought up a question in my mind for me. As someone who's been a longtime fan of the Warriors and and who's covered the team, do you think Draymond Green's outspokenness, both within the team and then just publicly with the media and whatnot, that that just is the heart and soul of this team and franchise and, and is a large part of what makes them so fascinating besides the on-the-court product?
0: Oh, yeah, 100%. That. Steve Kerr has been saying that, you know, since his first year, that he's the heart of the Warriors. And, um, you know, a heartbeat is what he called him. He's a heartbeat of the Warriors. And, um, you know, he's, I don't know about outspoken in terms of speak to the media. He's very eloquent. He's very, um, he's very thoughtful when he speaks. It's not not talking trash and he's not saying a whole bunch of nonsense, you know, he's mm-hmm. A very reasonable and very intelligent human being when you listen to him speak and um, you know it, and that kind of shows when you watch the way he plays the game on the floor uh, he, he's such a smart player you know you rarely see him make a bad decision and um, just even looking at his turn you know assist to turnover ratio what power forward you know uh, handles the ball the way he does I think he I think he's averaging, like, a little over seven assists and maybe, like, 2.2, 2.3 turnovers in the playoffs so far. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. From your power four position, like, it's, like, unheard of, right?
1: Yeah, you're right. It's um 7.2 per game in the playoffs, assists, and actually only 2.0 turnovers,
0: so... Yeah, he, his decision-making is off the charts. He just, he's so, like... His decision making is just like it just it, it comes so naturally to him. He knows exactly what to do with the ball. Um, it, it, he's yeah, you know it, he might talk some trash. Um, he might make some controversial plays here and there on the court sometimes, but for the most part, uh, he just he plays with passion, unbelievable passion every single possession. The guy doesn't take a possession off. That's crazy. Yeah, that's true. So, I
1: know that you feel very confident in the Warriors winning the championship this year and we don't know yet as of this recording, but they're likely to face the Cavaliers for a third straight year. So, I know you are confident, but just in the case that they don't end up winning it all this year, given how dominant they've been over the last 3 years during the regular season. Would that be a, a huge disappointment if they didn't come away with the title?
0: Would that be a huge disappointment if they don't come away with the title? Yeah, uh, I want to give you like a, I want to give you like a pop esque answer right now to that <laughs> question because I mean, being disappointed would be the understatement of the century <laughs> for a team who should have won the championship without KD. And to have KD and to not win it is practically inconceivable. Like that's, If that happens, I don't know what the hell. <laughs> I mean, I guess that, you know, the only way I see that happening is um, either one of Draymond Green or Steph Curry gets hobbled for one reason or another. Some kind of injury. That's the only way I see a possibility for the Cavs to somehow win it. If that's what happened last year. Curry was hobbled, and they took full advantage of that. They exposed him um, with switches constantly. He couldn't do it. He kept fouling. He kept trying to use his hands instead of feet on defense, getting into foul trouble, um, just looking lost out there. He was awful. But he was hurt. He was playing hurt. He was nowhere near himself. Anybody who saw him throughout the year should know that. When, guys are, when NBA players are comparing him to the likes of a Michael Jordan, there was no hole in the way he played defense throughout the season. He's an excellent defender. And it made it appear in the finals as though he's, he's an incapable defender. Yeah. So that's how far, how far gone Curry was in terms of his health. That's obviously not the case this year. Mm-hmm. And as long as Draymond and Curry stays healthy, I I don't see how the Cavaliers can beat the Warriors. I just don't see it.
1: When we had Andy Liu on the show, he's from Warriors World earlier in the season, he was talking about the difference in the 2015-16 squad and the year before. Kerr kind of um he learned this year that the rec going for the record they already did it, and now it's more important to play the long game. And that they may have been fatigued in the NBA Finals. Do you think that that could have also played a role last postseason that they just ran out of gas at the end because no, they were going for the no. record? You don't, you don't buy that.
0: No, I completely disagree with that. Um, they, to me, there was one reason and one reason only that they ended up losing. That was Curry. And that so, was during, what was it, Game 1? When um, Curry slipped on multi-unit sweat before, right before the end of the first, first half of the game. And that's how he hurt his knee. That's where, that was the beginning of the end. They should have lost that series against the Oklahoma City Thunder. They, they barely lost escaped. That series. Yeah, that, that, was, this was, that was, they came back 3-1. a miracle. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, uh, Curry, he just wasn't the same. And when he's not the same, that team is not the same, especially defensively. It, you know, this is why when people uh, say, like, Curry is a bad defender, it annoys me because you don't win 73 games if you have, like, a major defensive hole in your starting five. Anybody who plays basketball shouldn't know that, right? Mm-hmm. If you have a giant defensive hole, everybody has to constantly compensate for that and um, you know you do your best to hide that player or whatever, but um, yeah, you know it's it's almost offensive. One playoff series against the Cavaliers and made it seem like that was the case. Most people didn't even weren't even willing to accept the idea that Curry was playing hurt. Like, it goes crazy to me. I, I had to fight off a lot of people saying that he's not hurt. Like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? This guy. After what he did last year, you're telling me that this is a normal Steph? The guy couldn't drive past anybody. And that's his specialty is driving by when they have a switch and a big guys on them. No big guy can stay in front of Steph, right? And you know, look, you he couldn't get by Kevin Love for that, that three-point shot he took at, in Game 7 last year. I mean, come on. But anyway... um So I would say that fatigue had nothing to do with what happened last year. It largely has to do with the fact that their best player was compromised. And then in the finals, you know, what happened there, um, Draymond Green gets suspended and then Bogut gets hurt. That was the big, you know, series changer. They lost their, you know, center. And all of a sudden uh, they were getting dominated and, they try to go with the the death lineup where they start Andre Iguodala for I think both games 6 and 7 but to be perfectly clear there is no death lineup that Steph Curry is not Steph Curry he is what allows them to unlock what is called what they call a death lineup
1: i want to ask you though yeah, about I mean, Kyrie Irving's yeah. impact because He barely played in the first finals matchup between the teams. He played last year and was really good. And for whatever deficiencies the Cavaliers have, I think namely defense, and they're also not getting, I think, the offensive contributions from guys beyond LeBron, Kyrie, and and Kevin Love, as much as they might need in a finals matchup against the Warriors, some would argue that Kyrie Irving being healthy is something that should scare the Warriors. Why does that not concern you?
0: It's not that it, it doesn't concern me. Um, Kyrie is obviously you know, one of the best scoring point guards um, in the league, so any team should be very wary of him. I mean, he—I thought he was not a good defender, but. Uh, if it's like a one-on-one situation, I think he is a very capable one-on-one defender. I don't know about when you put him in action, though, like a pick and roll when guys are setting screens and he has to be constantly moving, getting switched on to maybe the Clay Thompson or something like that. Um, but yeah, I don't think, I don't think the Warriors don't worry about him. They will definitely gain plan for him and they probably won't completely stop him. Um, he'll probably have a decent series for sure. Just before I let you go,
1: again, I really appreciate you joining me. I want to get your thoughts on something that you're really looking forward to watching in this year's finals that people may overlook or not pay attention to, some some subtlety or intricacy of the games or of the matchups that you'd like to highlight right now.
0: Um, well, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to seeing Curry have a redemption in the finals, because right now the reputation is that he's not very good in the finals, and that wasn't necessarily true in his first year there. Um, he, he had one really bad game when um, Vadova started. Yeah. You know, he had to start because Irving was hurt, and he was just. Ultra aggressive. They were letting him just just bump him around all over the place, and Curry had a really rough game. What was it like, game three or something like that? I think um, it was game two. So, yeah, I, I think he had maybe two bad games, but overall, he he ended up dominating, and you know he kind of dictated what the Warriors were going to do. And Andre Iguodala was hitting all those you know open threes, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know he ended up eventually winning the finals MVP. But what people kind of, I guess, chose to forget about is, like, why was he that open? Why was he so wide open? When a guy is that open and he's got a rhythm, he's probably going to hit that shot. And uh, Iguodala did his part in taking the shot, but he was getting those shots because uh, I don't know if necessarily the Cavaliers were giving it as much as they had no choice because they had to double Curry they had to double him off to pick and roll. And and then, you know, um, from there, Draymond gets the ball, and then Draymond makes, you know, the best decision he can. Uh, but basically, they're playing three on four at that point, right? And they did a lot of that when they went with the death lineup in the first finals. And um, so to me, he didn't have a bad finals in the first year, but it wasn't, you wouldn't call it spectacular either, right? Yeah, And that's what we know him as, as a spectacular player. And um, obviously, last year was an absolute disaster. His, his stock took such a huge hit. Um, I mean, we probably saw that with even Under Armour, too. They're so heavily reliant on how he performs on the court. And yeah, um, I think I'm really looking forward to seeing how he plays now that he's on this role... And he's healthy for the most part. And, you know, he's he's, he's locked in and ready to go. And, um, and it'll also be interesting to see how the whole LeBron James versus KD thing plays out. You know, whether they'll guard each other and how that will work out.
1: Yeah. And, uh, I think saying it's going to be a fun rematch is an understatement. So many people are looking forward to it. I know I
0: certainly Hopefully. Am. Hopefully. Because you got to remember... Um, The Warriors were—they were up three to one before all that crazy stuff happened Hmm. Um, last year, without KD. And uh, you know, obviously, some turn of events changed everything. But assuming stuff like that doesn't happen again, assuming Draymond doesn't knock LeBron and the jewels again, doesn't get suspended, all this stuff—it could end up. If you remember, LeBron was kind of—he disappeared for the first three, four games, right? Yeah, yeah. There's no guarantee that that's not going to happen again. The the Cavs don't really do very well when Draymond is anch- anchoring that defense. So, and that goes both for LeBron and Kyrie.
1: Yeah, I saw the yeah. I saw the split stats in the finals last year with Draymond on and off the court, which was yeah. very telling. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's a joke.
0: So yeah, you know I. I know a lot of people are anticipating a lot of excitement, and it could be, um, and I hope so. I wouldn't be surprised either if it ends up being quote unquote boring, as a lot of people are saying about the playoffs right now, because they could end up treating the Cavs in a similar kind of way that they're treating everyone else in the playoffs.
1: I'll let you go now. Thanks again for joining me. It was really great. Yeah, it was great. I for having you. Enjoy the final.
0: All right, thank you, Timmy.